Last week, we went to court. Christine walked us through the bulk of Romans chapter 3, and in it we stood trial. We were weighed and found wanting. The verdict was guilty, and the sentence was the maximum penalty, death. But then came the appeal. Jesus offered himself in our place, meaning he took our punishment. He soaked up all the wrath of God against our sin into himself so that none was left for us. And we are justified, which means we are made right before God by our faith in Christ. And chapter 3 ends with a reminder in, chat, in verse 27. Can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It's based on faith. And now we move to chapter 4 where we see a small shift. Paul goes from making his case to offering us a case study. He continues this argument against boasting in works and for salvation by grace through faith, using the life and faith of Abraham as an example for us. Um, Chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of our Jewish nation. What did he discover about being made right with God? If his good deeds had made him acceptable to God, he would have had something to boast about. But that was not God's way. So Paul shares this story of the life and faith of Abraham um, because Abraham was the father of the Jewish nation. And Paul's Jewish listeners would have revered Abraham and held him up as a pinnacle of righteousness and if Paul is making Paul's making the argument that if Abraham can't boast, if he can't rely on his good works, then surely no one can. So as we go through the rest of chapter four today, I want to um, just take a quick second to go over where we're going in the rest of our time. We're going to um, look at a quick financial lesson. We are going to see that this was always the plan that salvation by grace through faith was always the plan from the beginning. We're going to take a quick sidebar. We are going to clarify a misconception that I think sometimes we believers can fall into without even realizing we're doing it. And then we're going to take a look at the life of faith. But before we do any of that, I'm going to pray for us real quick. Father, thank you for the time that we get to spend together in your word. I pray that you would um, be near to us, that we would feel your presence, that we would be open to the moving of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and our minds and our lives, and that we would take um, this word that you have given us and see more about you and um, by extension more about ourselves and how we should be living. We pray these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. So, in chapter 3, last week, we saw a lot of legal language. Depending on the translation that you read, you would have seen words like justified, justification, justifier, um, a word like propitiation, these big legal terms. And in chapter 4, another shift we make from um, not just from making the case to giving a case study, he also Paul also shifts from using legal language to using financial language. The words counted or count, again, depending on your translation, 
appears at least 10 times. And the first occurrence occur, happens in um, chapter 4, verse 3, where it says, For the scriptures tell us Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. And this, I, this, this word counted is the idea of crediting something to someone's account. So let's think of balancing your checkbook or looking at your online bank account, your bank statement. And um, you would see a column of debits. This is the money that is going out of your account. And a column of credits. This is money that's coming into your account that is being given to you. Um, and what happens if we take more money out than we put in. We end up with a negative number. We end up in accounting terms in the red. Um, we end up owing money. And our sinful, unredeemed, unjustified hearts are in the red. We owe money. And not only do we owe money, but we are utterly bankrupt. And bankrupt is this idea of being unable to pay our outstanding debts. So we owe money and we cannot satisfy that debt. And then Jesus comes along and he pays that debt for us. But not only does he pay our debt, not only does he cover what we owe, he credits our account with his own righteousness. So our account doesn't just come back to zero, but it goes, um, again, in accounting terms, into the black. Um, we get a positive number in our account by way of something that wasn't ours in the first place. And then we get another financial image in chapter 4, verses 4 through 5, and that's this image of wages. And Paul is telling us, that if our righteousness could be earned, then God would be obligated to give it to us in the same way that an employer is obligated to give an employee his or her salary when the work is completed. And Paul makes it clear, as he has in previous chapters, that we cannot earn our righteousness. In fact, not only can we not earn our righteousness, but Christ's righteousness is expressly given to us, even though we definitely haven't earned it. In verse 5, it tells us, but people are counted as righteous, not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. The ESV um, says, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly. Our faith is given the same force, the same weight as righteousness, even when we are very clearly unrighteous. Tim Keller puts it this way, Abraham was not in himself righteous, perfect, and blameless, but God treated him as though he were. So if Calling up Abraham isn't enough. Paul brings up King David, another heavyweight of Jewish history and heritage. And he quotes one of David's Psalms. That's Psalm 32 in verses 7, chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. He says, Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sins are put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. And this is the New Living Translation. In other translations, it talks about um, the joy for those whose um, 
sin the Lord does not count against them. The same idea of um, these same financial ideas. So let's think about this for a minute. David is saying, oh, what joy for those. So let's imagine the life of a person so deep in debt she will never recover. How does that change her attitude, her behavior, the way that she can move about the world, the way she interacts with other people? And then let's think about the life of a person with a positive number in their balance column. How does she um, feel and think and act and behave towards other and move others and move about the world? Can you picture that difference? So thinking about this, do we really understand and believe that if we choose faith, God has cleared our debt and credited us with the righteousness of Christ? And if we do, how should that make our lives different? How should we be reflecting this truth to a watching world? So now that Paul has established how Abraham was counted as righteous, he moves on to when he was counted as righteous. And this is a particularly important idea because Paul wants his Jewish listeners and he wants us today too to understand that salvation through faith was the plan from the beginning. And to understand this, we need to backtrack all the way back into the covenant timeline of Genesis. And we're going to start in Genesis 12. Abram, he was called Abraham, Abram at this point, not Abraham yet, was called to leave his country and his father's family and go to the land that God um, would show him. And this call to leave and go came with a promise. God promised to make him into a great nation, to bless others through him. In fact, he says pretty specific, God says specifically, all the families on earth will be blessed through you. And then in Genesis 15, God speaks to Abram in a vision. And Abram questions the, God, the goodness of God's blessing, this promise to bless all families of the earth through him because he doesn't have a son to be his heir. He, doesn't have a, he, he has no way to have descendants. And God promises that Abram will have a son of his own as well as possession of the land. He talks in terms of Abram's descendants outnumbering, as being as numerous as the stars. And Genesis fifteen six tells us that Abram believed God and his belief, his faith was counted as righteousness. And I think it's interesting and important that we note that Abram didn't just believe in God. He didn't just assent to the... Um, existence of God. Abraham believed God. That means he took God at his word, believed that God could accomplish his promise. Abram's faith was trust. And ultimately that trust was looking forward to the Messiah. And how do we know this? Well, Jesus himself tells us in John chapter 8 verse 56, when Jesus tells a, a gathered crowd your father Abraham rejoiced as he looked forward to my coming. He saw it and was glad. And this is an idea, this idea of looking forward to the Messiah is echoed by the prophets and as well as others throughout the Old Testament. Um, even if 
Jewish readers and listeners didn't quite understand exactly what the Messiah was going, who the Messiah was going to be and what he was going to do. Um, the prophets and others writing in the Old Testament knew, and they were looking forward to it and being glad. And then in Genesis 17, God reiterates his promise to make Abram a father of many nations and to give the land of Canaan to him and his descendants. And at this point, God changes Abram's name to Abraham, and Abraham receives the mark of the covenant people, that is circumcision. So this timeline makes it clear that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness before circumcision. Now, why does this matter? Paul tells us in verses 11 through 12 of chapter of Romans chapter 4, circumcision was a sign that Abraham already had faith and that God had already accepted him and declared him to be righteous even before he was circumcised. So Abraham is the spiritual father of those who have faith but have not been circumcised. They are counted as righteousness because of counted as righteous because of their faith. And Abraham also is also the spiritual father of those who have been circumcised, but only if they have the same kind of faith Abraham had before he was circumcised. And this matters because Abraham is the father of all people of the faith. And that includes both Jews and Gentiles. So the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is for all people at all times, in all places, including us. So we can trust that God can accomplish his saving work in our life and we can live accordingly. So faith counted as righteousness was always the plan from the beginning of time. And now I want to um, take a few minutes to highlight a Another phrase that shows up a couple of times in Romans 4 and adds some clarity for us to guard against a misconception that, as I said before, I think we can often have without really even realizing it that we have this misconception. And this phrase shows up in verses 13 and 16, where in verse 13 it says, Clearly, God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was based not on his obedience to God's law but on right relationship with God that comes by faith. And then in verse 16, the promise is received by faith. It is given as a free gift. Um, Michael Kruger, who is the president of Reformed Theological Seminary, points out this misconception we can fall into. We can begin to believe that it is our faith that saves us. But this isn't the case. Like verse 16 says, the promise is received by faith. We can understand this a little bit better um, when we read Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, and I'm reading this in the English Standard Version. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Our faith isn't the thing that saves us. It's simply the means by which we receive God's saving grace. God and his grace does the saving. We receive that through our faith. And to help us think about this idea, let's think about um let's think about when we are thirsty. When we're thirsty. I have a pitcher here filled with water. 
Um, when we are thirsty, what do we do to satisfy our thirst? We drink water, right? So what do we need to get this water from our pitcher, from our source, to our mouths? We need a cup. So we can think of our pitcher or you know, your fridge at home or your faucet at home, whatever water source you want to think of, we can think of that as, um, as God. And we can think of, um, we can think of it as God and his grace. And we can think of the water as the righteousness of Christ. And we can think of our thirst as our unrighteousness, our unredeemed, unrighteous hearts. And we can think of our cup as our faith. We use our faith to receive the righteousness of Christ that is poured out on us by God's grace. So make no mistake, our faith is vital to our salvation because who can satisfy their thirst without some means of getting the water from the source and to their mouths? But the danger comes when we slip into this belief that our, um, when we slip into this belief that our faith saves us because we are reducing our faith to works, to accomplishment. And the problem lies in the fact that our faith is not always um, the same. It can waver from day to day. I don't know about you, but I know for sure my faith is stronger on some days than others. And when we reduce our faith to a work, to an accomplishment, the problem um this can go one of two ways. We can start um, when our, our days when our faith is strong, we can start falling into self-righteousness. God owes me. Of course he loves me because I believe so well. Or on days or seasons even when our faith is not so strong, when it's wavering, um, we can fall into fear and doubt. I can never satisfy my own debts. Will God ever love me? Will he ever accept me? And we've already established that God owes us nothing. And we already know that the promise is a gift that is freely given. So we can take particular comfort in the understanding that it is grace that saves us. And we receive that grace through our faith. Because we know how much our faith can waver. And it's on us to constantly keep bringing our cups back to the water. So back to Abraham. After giving us a finance lesson and showing us that faith is counted as righteousness and that was the plan all along, Paul tells us in verse 16, the promise is received by faith. It's given as a free gift and we are all certain to receive it whether or not we live according to the law of Moses if we have faith like Abraham's. And then Paul goes on in verses 18 through 22 to describe Abraham's life of faith. He tells us Abraham hopes even when things seem hopeless. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. Abraham's faith grew stronger. Abraham was fully convinced God was able to do whatever he promises. 
And I struggled reading through these verses because if you know anything about the life of Abraham, you know his actions weren't always stellar. Twice he lied about his wife being his sister. He agreed to a plan to use Hagar to try to produce a son and an heir um, on his own and outside of God's promise. So how exactly is this the life of faith that didn't weaken or waver? Well, Tim Keller makes an important distinction for us. He says, Abraham hung on to God's promises, even in his own flaws and failings. The life of faith is not a perfect life. It's the life which cleans on to what God has said he will do and which sees struggles and joys and failures as means of increasing our attachment to God. So even after we come to a saving faith in Jesus, our lives will not be perfect. Our obedience will not be perfect. But in case we missed the point, Paul hammers it home one more time in the closing verses of chapter 4, verses 23 through 25. And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit too, assuring us that God will also count us as righteous if we believe in him, the one who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was handed over to die because of our sins, and he was raised to life to make us right with God. Our works can never make us right with God. Only Jesus can. And we access that righteousness. We have it treated as though it was ours by faith in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. So now we come to a final question. How do we live as Abraham did, a life of faith that's credited to us as righteousness? Well, let me tell you a quick story. Um, You know that saying, um... If all your friends jumped off a bridge, would you jump too? Well, that one could never be used on me when I was younger because all my friends did jump off of bridge and I did jump too. We were on a summer youth retreat up in the mountains of North Carolina. We were at Fontana Dam and we decided to jump off of the dam into the lake, which was maybe 20, 25-ish, maybe a little more feet Um, and the youth pastor kind of showed us all how to jump, how far, like coached us on jumping far out away from the wall, coached us on how to land, how to position our arms so we wouldn't get hurt. He even, um, was treading water at the bottom where we would land with one of those kind of Baywatch style red life-saving flotation can devices, So here's the thing. I am terrified of heights and specifically I am terrified of falling from heights. So I just sat there at the top kind of pondering whether I was going to do this when all my friends were, were already happily jumping off of the top of this dam. So what was the thing that got me literally over the edge? Well, our youth pastor was my dad. And I knew my dad well. I knew his character. I knew his um, promise and obligation to take care of us. I knew that he would allow some risk in my life, but I knew he wasn't reckless. And so I jumped. 
And that's just like Abraham. Abraham walked closely with the Lord. He knew intimately the one who promised. He knew his character. He knew that he was one that was able to bring the dead to life and create new things out of nothing. He was able to do what he said he would do. And so Abraham was able to step out in faith and trust. He had experienced time and time again the faithfulness of the Lord, and he was able to rely on it. So as we um, go into our weeks, how can we take this and, and, and apply it to our daily lives? And I think we can do this. I think we can reflect on the fact that if we choose to believe Jesus' righteousness has been credited to our accounts, and we thank God for the grace he's shown to us in Jesus. I think we need to draw near to God in prayer and meditation on scripture and ask him to reveal his character to us. We should think through the ways the Lord has proven himself faithful and trustworthy in the past. And we can ask the Holy Spirit for his help to move forward in confidence in God and his character and live a life of faith, fully assured that the one who has promised is able to save us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time together. I pray that we would be able to take this case study of Abraham's life and really let it sink into our hearts. Help us to be aware of who you are, aware of your character, aware of the ways that you have moved and been faithful in our lives in the past. Help us to lean on that, lean into that, and move um, about in our daily lives in in faith and confidence so that we may have that faith credited to us as righteousness. We are grateful for your son, Jesus, and it's in his name we get to pray these things. Amen.